Hello and welcome to Energy in 30. We'll use the next 30 minutes to explore how utilities and the industry are reacting to forces that are shaping new offerings for customers in order to meet decarbonization goals. If you're a utility manager, consultant, technology provider, or just curious about energy, we hope to push your thinking about the changes that are happening in the energy industry with me, David Meisegeier. And me, Joan Collins. Hi, David. Hey, Joan. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad that it's Friday. Happy for it's, a weekend. I know. It's Friday, and we are rolling into the nearly the new year. So I can't believe we're we're already in December and wrapping up uh, 2023. It's gone by super fast. It has. It's been like a blink. Which leads me into what we're doing today, which I just, I can't wait. I've been really looking forward to this for about the past six months. <laughs> um, in January, you know, we gathered a panel of experts at ICF to get their top predictions. If you remember, we had a big drum roll um, regarding the trends that we'd see in 2023 as a result of or related to the Inflation Reduction Act and the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. That's right. And on this episode, we are excited to revisit those predictions and see how we did. So we welcome back from our January panel, Justin Rogers, Vice President of Energy Business Development, and Mike Jung, who serves as the founding executive director of ICF's Climate Center. And new to the panel, we're welcoming Meredith Durr, Senior Director at ICF, who with a her federal policy and program management experience has a focus on critical infrastructure, specifically in the utility sector. You might notice today that Erica Larson is not on the panel, and that's because she's on maternity leave. But she provided feedback on the outcome of her predictions before she went out, and we will be sharing those along the way. And we sent her so many congratulations, and I think she was excited to share because of the predictions that she made. So, so here we go. <laughs> uh, let's see how our experts did, and let's talk about the first category. So category one, drum roll, was grants, tax credits, and direct payments. And Mike, I think we're going to start with you, if that's okay. Uh, and your first prediction was really around it being kind of a mixed bag. And I don't know if you've had a chance to go back and, and take a look at that, but you used a, um, a kind of a taxi analogy um, in your prediction. Would you like to go ahead and tackle that one? Yeah, well, first, it's great to be back. Thanks for bringing us all <laughs> back together again. And Meredith, welcome to uh, to the conversation. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna do great because uh, I know that uh, you know you and I have worked together and uh, and you have a great perspective on things. So we're glad to have you in the conversation. Um, it has definitely been a mixed bag, but in ways that I think um, none of us could have necessarily have seen coming. Um, you know, uh, world events certainly uh, have continued to play an outsized role in how um, you know the implementation of the Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan infrastructure law um, are taking place. Um, you know, I think uh, from a geo, you know, geopolitical perspective, um, we knew that the Ukraine war was going to be a slog. Uh, it continues to have effects on energy prices out there in the marketplace. Um, I don't think anyone saw uh, the Israeli war uh, and, and the Palestinian situation um, uh, uh, flaring up in the way that it is right now. And that continues to inject instability uh, into, into commodity price 
practices, into um, you know supply chains, uh, and just into the overall psyche, uh, the sense of confidence and stability that consumers have, that businesses feel. Um, so those uh, you know are kind of you know macro factors in all of this. Um, I would say that um, you know from like a grants perspective, um, you know uh, I think uh, we. As I recall, I uh, uh, you know made this prediction that um, we would see direct pay, which is a provision that uh, affects um, you know not profit like municipal and cooperatively owned utilities. Um, it puts them in a position to take take advantage of tax credits that used to only be applicable to investor-owned utilities. Um, I I made the prediction that that was going to be sort of a, a a great levelizer. Um, I would say that you know anecdotally. Um, it's still taking a while to unfold. Um, you know, these uh, utilities are small by and large. Municipal and cooperative-owned utilities are rel relatively small. Um, generally, they are wires companies, and they have not been built to be, uh, you know, asset owners and operators from a generation perspective. And so, it's taking a while for them to really kind of wrap their heads around what it might mean for them to own and operate uh, generation facilities uh, that feed into their distribution infrastructure. Um, but what I am hearing anecdotally is that it is changing the game in terms of the competitive landscape. Previously, they would work through third parties that would assemble um, uh, owners that were able to take advantage of those tax credits, uh, and then they would uh, do a PPA, a power purchase agreement uh, from those consortiums. Um, from what I'm hearing anecdotally out there in the marketplace, um, those are becoming more competitive because they will have to be, uh, because now they're gonna be competing against these smaller utilities owning and operating their own resources. Mm. Um, and that is uh, that that's that's a welcome effect, I think. Um, you know, lower prices and and more competition generally is a good thing. And I think we're starting to see the beginnings of that out there in the competitive PPA landscape uh, for these uh, smaller utilities. Another no, area really... that I yeah didn't see coming was um, how competitive uh, the workforce uh, uh, situation was going to become. Uh, there simply aren't enough electricians and installers and uh, you know tradespeople to do all the work that's going to be. Um, necessary uh, to rebuild all the infrastructure, much less uh, build new infrastructure. And so uh, I know having talked with some of these smaller uh, utilities that, you know, they'd like to get into the asset owning business maybe um, uh, of owning and operating generation, but they can't do it until they find the workforce that can take care of those facilities, maintain them and operate them. And uh, those those workers are in high demand, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, we're going to, you know, the solution to high demand is high demand, right? Yeah. Hey. So why don't we move on to Justin, David, do you want to tackle that one? So Justin, you were predicting that utilities will be caught off guard with the amount of funding, not going directly to them, although it would be hitting their customers. Um, what, what, what would you say the outcome of that is? Yeah, um, well, I think, look, first, first and foremost, it's a good thing I'm not a professional fortune teller. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I really uh, got this one necessarily right. I think it was more that, um, you know, because the, there's a lot of money from IRA and IJA, right, going to entities other than utility, going to nonprofits from Solar for All, for instance, which, you know, EPA still, as of now, I believe, has not made the, the, the award announcements for those projects. A lot of money going to local governments and counties through some of the other funding opportunities as well, uh, and I thought that that would be um, I thought it would be further along. I guess 
than where we are right now in terms of some of those awards coming out or those projects being identified. I don't think utilities were caught off guard, so to speak. I think they were very focused on specific things, which is probably right. One is, you know, in the world that I'm in uh, with utility programs, um, one of the one of the worlds with utility programs, um, utilities were very focused on the homes and HERA programs coming to state energy offices as, as well. They should be, as we see some state energy offices uh, begin to uh, you know build their plans and, and look to submit to DOE for that funding. Uh, and then I think we also saw a lot of utilities focused on um, uh, DERs and the uh, and the proliferation of DERs within their community and becoming more of an active um, contributor or taking more of an active role in that. Uh, and we see see that through a lot of the grit projects that were funded through the last round as well. So. I would give myself, you know, probably a D for this one, uh, if I'm being generous uh, for myself. Um, but it was been a, it's been an interesting year, uh, nonetheless. To, to, yeah. Justin, I think you're being too hard on yourself. I, I, I think that, uh, um, you know, if you look at the numbers, I mean, you know, like U.S. solar installations went up by like 53%. I think, you know, new highs it was like 32 gigs of capacity coming online for solar. And we know that a lot of that wasn't utility owned and operated. Right. It was stuff that was, you know, going onto rooftops. Uh, it was stuff that was outside of their system. I think ComEd put out numbers showing that um, they had, I think, close to 50,000 uh, rooftop solar installations uh, going into their service territory last year. Uh, wow. And you compare that to 837 in the year 2016. Um, and so, oh, you know, we're changing yeah. orders of magnitudes in terms of what's happening at the grid edge. And uh, and I don't I don't think that anyone saw it coming that fast and that furious. And I think that, you know, I, I give you a higher grade, Justin. I appreciate it. Yeah, I guess I don't, I don't know if they were caught off guard of maybe our, our infrastructure isn't necessarily there for it yet. But um, that's fair. Thank you, Michael. Justin, another area that you predicted was around customer engagement. You thought that perhaps that would accelerate. Um, and I think still... that's direction. Oh, sorry, Joan. No, I was just, do you, you still agree or still think that's the case? Or when you look back that that happened? Yeah, I think that was directionally correct. Anecdotally for us, we've seen utilities uh, across the U.S. procuring more marketing services. Uh, including, and I think specifically, strategies and tactics that have traditionally been more in the B2B realm versus in a you know monopolistic environment. So that would be stuff like account-based marketing to drive economic growth, either in, in terms of retaining customers they currently have, so they don't lose those big CNI customers, or bringing more CNI customers within their territory. Um, and then additionally, uh, the uh, more advanced MarTech um, uh, work that utilities are going after or solutions and increased interest there. Um, and then I think secondly, if you look at the projects DOE funded through GRIP program, you know, first, I think Meredith can talk more to this potentially, but, you know, community benefits was a huge focus area of interest uh, in engaging with disadvantaged communities specifically. Uh, and then second, many applications, I mean, not all of them, but, but a lot of them focused on enabling customers and engaging customers to help manage the grid flexi flexibly. So Pico had a really cool project uh, that got awarded uh, in southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, and as part of that, you know, they're establishing a forum for continuous feedback and dialogue on the project uh, with dis uh, disadvantaged communities um, uh, on an ongoing basis, which I think is really great. Justin, so. you introduced a new acronym. GRIPS. GRIP. 
Oh, the I, Grid Resilience and Innovation Program, I think is what that stands for. That's a okay. Department of Energy um, initiative that is a, a, a program that pulls together several different pots of money out of the Inflation Reduction Act um, and bipartisan infrastructure law, I believe, that, uh, that aims it into something that utilities can apply for multiple pots uh, through one application. Um, I think it's a good example of the you know, U.S. Department of Energy uh, being nimble uh, and being creative. Um, because, you know, the last thing I think we want is to build new silos uh, where, you know, if you're wanting you know, to implement some new infrastructure or innovation, you have to do five different applications to five different pots of funding. Um, I, I feel like USGOE is, 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 has learned a lot of lessons from the um, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act era 2009 stimulus uh, and really found good ways to package these things together in a way that is more user friendly. That's cool. Very cool. So Meredith, you got called out by Justin too. Do you want to weigh in on that? I did, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting when you look at the scoring criteria for these projects, community benefits was only worth 20% of the weighting, but across the board and what we saw DOE select, by far, it was the impact on disadvantaged communities. It was the partnerships with community benefits organizations that were really called out as the highlights of these projects. And I think that that's critical not only to meet the overarching priorities of the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act, but to address a lot of the real concerns. So Mike talked about labor shortages and that being a constraint and looking at one of the areas of community benefits plans being that utilities have to put thought and investment into developing a qualified workforce and looking at training and apprenticeship programs is really going to be critical as we see just the scale of these programs continuing to grow to make sure that there are the labor resources to keep up with that. All right. Yeah. And I think the next one we're going to do is an, an Erica prediction where Meredith will answer on her behalf, but uh, the prediction was that with the influx of federal funding, we would see utility commissions uh, pushing their utilities to pursue opportunities so that some of the benefits would be recognized by their constituents and communities. So Meredith, how did, how did we do there? So I think if we're gonna stick with that grading system, Erica got an A. So it's really exciting Ooh. to be here on her <laughs> behalf uh, to, you know, to share in the credit for her predictions. Um, but certainly she was spot on here. Across the board, we're seeing utility commissions have expectations for periodic reporting requirements or particularly have requirements in rate cases that demonstrate that utilities are taking advantage of and actively pursuing grant and loan opportunities to offset the costs to their ratepayers. Uh, what Erica has been tracking so far are a couple handful of states across the country and specifically the District of Columbia, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia have all opened dockets where they're either currently requiring or looking into requiring utilities to be reporting on the funding that they're pursuing. Oh, so wow. it's very important that you know these utilities do especially as we're going into the second year of funding, make sure that they're taking advantage of the opportunities that are in front of them because it's just becoming an expectation and ultimately a requirement. Mm. 
And I don't know about you guys, but that's suspicious because, I mean, like, there's no way that she could have guessed that that man to <laughs> exactly that. I think she left suitcases of cash in these different states and, like, made no, it no. I'm skeptical. <laughs> and for those that weren't counting on your fingers, that's nine states. Yeah. So that that's pretty impressive. Wow. And not just any old nine states. These are, like, you know, um, uh, you know, precedent-setting kind of states. Uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're leaders in what they're doing. Uh, but no, all jokes aside, um, I think Erica, uh, you know, had her finger on the pulse um, of understanding that um, it wasn't enough for, you know, these kinds of projects to be technically successful. Um, they needed to succeed in a visible way that was tangible to the communities that, uh, that the utilities serve. So, uh, yeah, full credit to Erica for, for seeing this coming. Absolutely. Awesome. So when we look at category one, David, if you and I were kind of grading it, uh what it what what are we given the panel i'd give somewhere i'd give a b I'd, that's what I'd i give thought a b. It, david when you started saying s- i thought you were going to say c and i was like oh no i don't know if i can live with myself uh, was, with a c but i'll take going, a b i was going between a c and a b but i was like you know what <laughs> it was so hard to predict any of this stuff right this is the point like so the, i think yeah the, the fact that we got some of it right Mm-hmm. Puts us up into the B category. Yeah. I mean, Erica even a plus. <laughs> <laughs> what, Justin? So Erica pulled us up. Yes, she definitely bent the curve. <laughs> yeah, but I think you all got some parts that were correct. So uh, I'd give it a solid B. Now that I all right, agree. Yeah. Let's yeah, see how I, we did with category two. Yeah. All right. This is my favorite area. I think it's just just so fun. Um, what we were looking at were uh, resiliency, grid mod, and uh, industry and flux. So yes, uh, Justin, this first one goes to you. And your prediction was that utilities who will be most successful over the next five to seven years uh, while this funding is is coming out, will be those that really have reorganized themselves to better coordinate across their, their departments. So not be so siloed, but um, look pervasively as how an organization they can take advantage of, of some of the funding out there. So how did we do? Yeah, well, I think, you know, my prediction was a five-year prediction, so maybe I'm a little safe in, in my <laughs> forecasting abilities here. But I and I uh, and I will all again uh, uh, ask Meredith to weigh in on this. But I, I think that we are seeing more and more um, collaboration across utility teams as they look at um, kind of getting some of this funding coming out of IRA and IIJA, uh, uh, specifically around the GRIP programs, um, but elsewhere. So if you look at a lot of the GRIP projects that were awarded, there was a lot of cross-service or cross-discipline um, uh, projects, really combining you know, resiliency with demand response, for instance, yeah. or demand response and flexible load with customer <laughs> affordability. Um, and uh, and more integration between customer programs and um, the distribution planning side of the house. Uh, and we're seeing, I think, more and more of that come up in even conversations with what we're having with utilities, where that um, 
that connection between customer programs and the planning side or the supply side uh, is becoming closer and closer. Um, so I think, you know, generally directionally right for me on this, though, um, you know, I give myself a lot longer than a year or two to prove this prediction true, I think. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, I think generally everything's going in a direction that was anticipated. Okay, so David and I are putting it on our calendar. We'll come back to you in another five years. Can't wait. <laughs> five years from now, we're going to be doing like hologram podcasts where we like show up virtually. Yeah. You know, we might who knows be. what the future holds. It, or AI will just step in and we won't even need to. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I want to see what the AI predicts. That's that's going to be a, a, an interesting episode. <laughs> Meredith, you're trying to get a word in. No, thanks. Uh, so just to, to echo Justin, I think, you know, certainly within a utility, we were seeing that holistic approach to a project. You weren't competitive if you just took a stack of deferred maintenance projects and tried to put them into a grant. But even going a step further, DOE really had a focus on projects that crossed one entity. So partnerships that were multiple entities working together, things that benefited communities that went across state lines, and also projects that really set a framework to be replicated by others within their region or other regions across the country. Um, so certainly that, you know, first and foremost, working internally across the utility, but that strategic and meaningful partnership building really came across in the projects that were selected and is even more strongly highlighted in the criteria for the next round of funding for these grants. Hmm. That's fascinating. I'm all for repeatability. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, enough with pilots already. Like, let's just listen <laughs> and repeat. Let's get <laughs> Yes. Joan. You're Any next. other comments on that, or do we want to go on to the next prediction? Okay, we're moving forward. Um, okay, so the next one was Mike's. Mike, you talked a lot about kind of this idea of putting a lot of eggs in one basket, being the grid, uh, which on one hand is good since it's the straightest shot to clean energy, you said. But you also noted that it's dependent on a lot of things like climate, weather, disaster, cyber, domestic terror, like you, you kind of went through a list. Um, and so, you know, you kind of went on to talk about how we need to do a good job of connecting those dots between these things like um, um, supporting infrastructure, like broadband communication and uh, investments and grid modernization and technologies, et cetera. Um, I think it'd be really interesting to kind of see how you feel about this now. Um, yeah, it's, you know. it's, I, 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 how do I feel about it now? Yeah. Um, on the one hand, um, I'm excited. I'm really invigorated because I do believe that the grid, the power grid is um, the straightest shot we have towards decarbonizing this economy quickly and uh, sustainably and uh, reliably. Um, uh, you know, if, if, if you ask me three years ago, even, um, you know, can we get it done? Um, the economics would have been harder. Uh, it would have been, um, you know, it, it would have required some sacrifice uh, in order to, to, to decarbonize at the rate and at the scale that we need to. 
But today, because um, you know prices have fallen in wind and solar and distributed energy resources, battery technologies are becoming more economic, and electric vehicles uh, and heat pumps, um, you know, are hitting price points that make them the obvious option, um, not just the, the 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 green option. I'm optimistic. Uh, I think you know we can do it. Uh, we have the tools, we have the direction, uh, and we have uh, the policy environment that. You know the market can can thrive uh, in a decarbonizing uh, uh, United States economy. So on that one hand, I'm really optimistic. On the other hand, um, I think we're starting to see sort of the real world constraints and challenges that happen when you put all your eggs into one basket. Um, I mentioned before workforce. Um, you know we're we're running into the hard limits of how fast can we train a workforce that is largely at this point aging uh, and 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 you know. The silver tsunami is real. Um, people are retiring from the electric industry workforce faster than they're coming in in many places. So, uh, so we need to get on that, um, and and we need to to to, to really you know engage uh, a younger generation into building the future economy. Um, supply chain, um, you know, uh, heat pumps and EVs are great, um, but they require a supply chain to be built up very quickly overnight, really, uh, in order for us for us to reach the scale that that uh, demand is asking for. Um, and so, um, you know, again, the answer to high prices is high prices. Um, but, you know, sometimes it hurts, you know, like I placed an order for a heat pump. It took six months before it could, you know, uh, arrive on our shores and get installed. And then it took me another month for, you know, the installation company to get around to, to, to rolling the truck. Um, and, um, and, and it should it needs to be faster. It needs to be more user friendly in that way. That said, um, I think the way that the legislation was structured in terms of getting kind of cross-functional capabilities, a longer list of eligible kinds of uh, investment types uh, into these projects, and then the way the USDOE has structured programs like GRIP uh, to, be in, to be interdisciplinary and cross-cutting, all bode really well. Um, uh, I think uh, you know we're, we're doing a good job, I would say, in terms of not reinforcing existing silos, but indeed punching through and, and, and creating cross-cutting themes that let us do uh, even more and get more out of the infrastructure that we're building now. Awesome. That's great to hear. Well, we're running out of time, so I'm going to just jump to the, the last prediction, which was Erica's, and that's that there will be more pressure on states around building electrification and she predicted that at least one state will further enable building electrification or break down barriers between electrification and energy efficiency. We tried to get that state out of her in January and she wouldn't tell. <laughs> so Meredith, how'd we do? Well, Erica was spot on again, and I guess <laughs> since I'm in New Jersey, right, fitting that I'm the one reporting out here. So the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities issued an order giving guidance that what they want to see in the utilities upcoming DSM plans is building electrification. In their last order, they, you know, had sort of put off anything on this, but now over the next three years, they're really specifically endorsing fuel switching and asking utilities to emphasize building electrification in homes using delivered fuel and gas utilities. Um, they're being allowed to promote hybrid gas and electric heating systems and district geothermal heating. So she was correct. Uh, New Jersey came out and has that push towards electrification. Amazing. Thank Erica. you. Thank you, Erica, for bringing up the curve once again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think everyone was pretty on point on that category. Uh, yeah, this, this this one we did much better on. But what about new kickers? 
let's just open it up as we kind of close out here. What's what are we missing? What's new? What's coming around the bend in 2024 that our audience should be watching for? Um, you know, the next round of GRIP grants, uh, the, the Grid Resilience and Innovation Program, uh, is already opened up, and we are starting to see um, uh, the rules coming out of uh, uh, Treasury uh, with regard to, you know, tax credit uh, kind of qualifications and whatnot. So a lot of what was, you know, kind of in legislation is now finally being promulgated into regulation. Uh, and so I think we're going to see an acceleration of uh, things getting built, things getting bought, things getting deployed. And, uh, and and things decarbonizing uh, across America. I think that's going to become faster and faster. Uh, so my my next prediction for this next year is that the rubber is going to meet the road more and more. Mm. Oh, I love it, Justin. I don't I don't disagree with Michael. Uh, I think that as we've seen and continue to see, we're gonna it's more and more virtual power plants uh, are gonna uh, projects are gonna be enabled and 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 market from utilities. A continuation of what we saw from from the the recently announced grip projects. Um, uh, two is building electrification um, or beneficial electrification in general uh, is gonna continue to take off. Uh, and then I think that we're gonna see more and more around uh you know gas utilities thinking about renewable natural gas and hydrogen and then not just uh not gas utilities necessarily but uh i think the the fourth thing i would say is uh, i think we're going to see much more geothermal activity coming up mm. uh, specifically network geothermal cool mm. and meredith what do you see so Mike and Justin have touched a lot on the technical components and merits of what projects are going to be. I think the real differentiators when it comes to what gets funded is going to continue to be community benefits and specifically quantifiable community benefits. Uh -huh. So demonstrating a measurable impact to disadvantaged communities, being able to articulate a specific number of jobs that will be created by a particular project and having those meaningful partnerships and actually have community benefits agreements executed, not just letters of support. What we've seen for this year's GRIP funding opportunity announcement is the introduction of a community benefit specific budget. So that really underscores the importance of carving out an investment for these considerations within the budget of the overall technical solution. So important. Amazing. Well, thank you all, Mike, Justin, Meredith. These predictions were so hard to do in the beginning of the year. I, I think we did pretty good. Uh, hearing what you're expecting to see next year sounds pretty spot on and insightful. So thank you all for for being on our show again. It's been a pleasure. Um, Meredith, for a rookie, you were like MVP, uh, so that was awesome. Uh, I'm sure Erica is, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, cooking up uh, her next batch of predictions, which are all going to be A plus again. I'm guessing. At the rate <laughs> no she's doubt. Going. She's batting a thousand. Um, but it's a pleasure. Thanks for bringing us together. And uh, I'm really excited about the work that's happening, the work that ICF is a part of. Um, you know, we just released a big report on, uh, uh, you know, how we're doing in terms of the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, uh, and, and what we need to do in order to meet our goals uh, across uh, uh, decarbonizing this economy. And um, and I think that, you know, this is all uh, kind of coming together. The stars are aligning. It's great to be a part of it. Really is. Awesome. And if you've enjoyed this conversation as much as we have, we sure appreciate you liking, sharing, and even subscribing to our podcast. 
And I just, again, reiterate that I've been in the industry a while, and this truly is the most exciting time. And it's so fun to engage with all of you around this. And we're just so looking forward to moving into the new year, 2024. Uh, we thank you for listening to this podcast. And actually, David, we're moving into our 20th episode in January, Amazing. which is just, yeah. So such fantastic conversations. And we look forward to all of you joining us for the next episode of Energy in 30. Thank you.